0: The declaration
1: of a worldwide pandemic in March 2020 and the cascade of health policies that followed forced pastors and congregations to rapidly respond. Because no churches wrote close our doors in their three year goals, everyone had to learn quickly and make adjustments simply to survive. In his article on power, privilege, and adaptive leadership in 2020, Todd Bolsinger framed the crisis in two phases. First is the acute phase where you're just trying to survive. And second is the adaptive phase, where you actually use the energy of the crisis to address underlying issues. What's clear in our research is that almost all churches faced acute changes because state and local restrictions, building arrangements, and church demographics are different. The changes that everyone made were different as well. What's less clear is whether churches actually adapted to how people live post-pandemic, and whether those changes will last. We've labeled this second common experience as adapt to survive, because those churches and pastors that could not or would not adapt were more likely to suffer worse outcomes. Welcome to COVID in the Church. I'm your host, Aaron Hill, editor of Church Salary, a ministry of Christianity Today. Join us as we unpack the results of Church Salary and Arbor Research Group's landmark study on the impact of COVID-19 on the American church. Download your free copy and follow along with our discussion by visiting churchsalary.com slash study, To unpack this theme, I'm joined by two researchers from the Arbor Research Group, Dr. John Swanson and Reverend Ebony Davis. Ebony Davis has served as the Associate Pastor of Youth at Trinity Baptist Church in Waldorf, Maryland for more than 16 years. She is the co-author of Disrupting Teens with Joy, Helping Teens Discover Jesus-Focused, Gritty Faith. Ebony, thank you for joining us.
2: Thanks, it's great to be here.
1: And John... This is your third appearance in a row on the podcast. Thank you for joining us. It's good to be back. Thanks. Before we dig into the meat of our findings on adaptation, I think it would be helpful to cast our minds back to the beginning of the pandemic. John, you opened the chapter with that quote from Todd Bolsinger about how there are two phases to every crisis, an acute phase and an adaptive phase. Can you help us remember the acute phase At the outset of the pandemic,
3: for a lot of people, I think there's no interest in wanting to remember what that was like. But if we stop um, and think about some of the TV coverage that we saw, particularly starting on the East Coast in this country and some of the larger cities, some of the devastation and emergency room pictures that we were seeing from New York um, gives us a picture of what was driving our fear and uncertainty at that time. And then at a congregational level, one of the things that characterized that season was the fact that everything was uncertain and the boundaries kept changing, sometimes on a weekly, sometimes on a daily, sometimes on an hourly basis. And so that sheer amount of change, we want to forget it, but when we stop, many of us start feeling a level of anxiety that we were feeling at the time, and then it it affected how we went about doing ministry. Uh, and so, for those who are strong in pastoral care, hospital visits stopped. For those who were caring for people in times of loss, funerals changed, going from 100 in a place to 50 in a place to 10 at a time. We were shifting from face-to-face to online to not meeting at all in a variety of ways. and And as you said earlier, There were different experiences in different parts of the country, and during that season, we began to have a feeling of not having any clue who to trust because there were multiple voices with multiple levels of expertise, and so that uncertainty was shaping how we would be able to react.
1: So uh, one of the questions that we asked in our initial survey in the spring of 2022 was to specify which pandemic health measures they implemented for any length of time during the year. And that helped us quantify what percentage of churches were uh, implementing masking or refraining from singing in 2020, 2021, and 2022. What did we learn from this question, John? I thought this was a very interesting question, and the results we got were interesting as well.
3: Yeah, one of the striking things for me is that two thirds of congregations reported requiring masks, social distancing, moving services online for a while, and extra cleaning. So those four things, two thirds of congregations reported making changes in 2020. By 2022, extra cleaning had dropped to just a third of congregations, and masking had dropped to less than a quarter of congregations, and and the rest of things just disappeared. When we look at singing, there were about 20% of congregations that refrained from singing or reported refraining from singing, um, and that had dropped to about 4% by 2022. So there were big impacts early on, and then across those three years, people relaxed the constraints, acknowledging, however, that for some congregations, there were no restrictions at all all the way through, and for others, there are still restrictions in place. So if there are only 25% of congregations still wearing masks in 2022, that means that there's still a quarter of churches wearing masks.
1: Ebony, in this chapter, which I should point out was written by John, we organize adaptations into several categories. So there's different types of things that churches had to adapt. The main ones were ministry models, mission, vision, strategy, and then leadership structures. So walk us through, what did our research uncover about adaptations to church ministry models?
2: Yeah, so I think most congregations who participated in this study began by adapting to the restrictions, right? They were responding Mm -hmm. to the concerns, to the convictions of congregants, and and the presence of illness. But then we realized this wasn't just going to be a couple of weeks. (laughs) (laughs) And so— some congregations after that sort of began to make real adaptive changes to their ministry models, right? And some of those were really innovative, uh, innovative ways to receive offerings, to provide communion, to share prayer requests, to visit the sick. You know, I know of one church that deacons went, you know, and collected the offering from people at home. I, uh, you know, know of churches that did communion online and things like that. Um, and so, of course, uh, tech played a major role in this. Uh, many people were working and learning from home. And so, congregations started using online video, mm-hmm. doing their devotions and their small group time, their even children's ministry. And we even had drive-up services, live outdoor streaming. I know in my church, we found out that it does not sound good when we all try to sing on Zoom, right? Those are things that we had to learn. But there was this constant need to make decisions. And that was hard on a lot of pastors. Um, but as one pastor put it, there was this sudden realization that we weren't in control, but we could respond, adjust, we could change and figure out what it meant to still be the church.
1: What about the second category? John talks in the chapter about adapting mission, vision, strategy. What did churches do there in order to try and survive the pandemic?
2: Yeah, you know, there were some churches that really went beyond answering the question, how do we meet next week?
1: Mm.
2: And I think this term that really sums it up is the pandemic pause. Other churches really leverage this opportunity to pause and rethink and reconsider how we do church. And that was everything from what we're doing with our financing to uh, scheduling and programming. It was an opportunity to sort of rethink the status quo and think outside the box. And so at the end of that, a lot of churches were able to sort of hold on to what mattered and then adjust their mission and their vision and their strategies to, accordingly. And so I really loved um, this pastor that said that COVID was an opportunity to go through every ridiculous thing yes. and start slicing, right? <laughs> um, so so yeah, those those were those pastors who just said, you know, we need to make more of this time, of this opportunity then thinking about what we're going to do next week. Um, this is an opportunity that God has given us to really rethink what we're doing on, on as a church as a whole.
1: John, so we're going to talk more about this specific topic in an upcoming episode, but can you talk a little bit about how churches adapted their leadership structures in order to survive during the pandemic? So
3: in this kind of adaptation, it very much depends on the congregation. So we end up with, with approaches that end up feeling very different. So in some congregations, there was way more lay involvement in a variety of how the work was done. So more lay involvement Mm -hmm. in pastoral care, for example, training for deacons, uh, so that kind of care was distributed more um, in the congregations. In other situations, in one in particular, this pastor and his family became the ones who handled all the tech stuff because you were having to deal with distance and all of those kinds of things. So for this congregation, from the technology and service perspective, everything came into his family, which across time then became a problem, and they were trying to figure out how to move that out. In some congregations, they ended up hiring more staff because of the needs for technology and other kinds of things. So you end up with a shift to a more staff-driven congregational um, leadership approach. Some congregations reported speeding up changes that they were already doing. So rather than spending time Mm -hmm. talking about it, in one case, this meant moving women into leadership more quickly. And in some congregations, there was a struggle because volunteers couldn't come into the building. And so it meant that there were a smaller number of paid staff doing the work, which then across time meant figuring out how to recruit volunteers to move back into leadership kinds of things. This was particularly in congregations that have older people involved in leadership. And you end up with COVID adversely affecting older people. So there were all those concerns about, what do we do for older people? And then, um, as a result of that, it cuts their involvement.
1: So in the chapter, you also note that not every leader and church survived the pandemic. And we've talked about this, and and we'll talk about it in some future episodes. We don't want to overemphasize how many churches closed, but it wasn't wasn't zero. And while the reasons varied— There definitely were some challenges that churches faced. so walk us through some of the adaptation challenges that churches faced.
3: One of the adaptation issues is when you're working with opposing positions. So when you have strong groups of people holding positions for deeply personal and deeply theologically felt reasons— to try and figure out how to, to bring those positions together and, and resolve that is a really difficult challenge for, for a pastoral leader, particularly when there is the value of building a relationship and connection, and that pastor may be more closely connected to one or the other of those two mm. groups, or yet a third situation. I think that Ebony pointed out earlier, the very speed of decisions— meant that not the wisest decisions were always made. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that could have repercussions um, going forward. I think for some congregations, too, there ended up being that um, that who-do-we-trust thing. So as leaders say, okay, stop coming. Okay, come on back. Oh, wait, we need to stop coming. (laughs) That even though what we know is that understanding of what is the wisest thing changes. Yeah, What that feels like is people being indecisive, and that yeah. lack of decision becomes an issue. And, and then, the sheer fragility of ministry. Um, so, yeah. when a congregation is struggling with some of these issues, and then somebody dies for reasons that have nothing to do with COVID, or something Mm. happens to the building for reasons that have nothing to do with COVID. And we talk about this elsewhere, but that it's also part of the adaptation process, that if we've adapted to a hundred different things, the hundred and first thing becomes huge.
1: Yeah, I think we've all had those moments in our lives where we've made it through the day and we've handled, you know, 15, 20, 30 mm-hmm. hard decisions, yeah. and you get to the end of the day and something small happens and you just fall apart oh, yeah. or you lose it. And some of the comments that, that we saw, you know, a pipe burst and the building flooded. Things that normally would would be a big deal, but churches could handle, but in the midst of this pace of unrelenting change and all the conflict that was going on, something as small as A problem with the facility or a leader resigning from a ministry was really hard for churches. So uh, Ebony, in one poignant paragraph in John's chapter, he talks about the fact that for many congregations and denominations, a generation of leaders died during the pandemic. And this was acutely felt by congregations of color. For example, there have been multiple reports about how a significant number of bishops and superintendents in the Church of God and Christ denomination, the biggest African-American Pentecostal denomination in the United States, died of COVID. There's actually a Washington Post article I found that said they lost up to 30 bishops and superintendents to COVID in just the first couple months of the pandemic in 2020 alone. Um, did you encounter any of these generational leadership losses in your research? And then how do you see these losses creating ongoing adaptation challenges for denominations and churches moving forward?
2: Um, Well, we know that the African-American community was hit really hard with COVID, particularly the the older community, Mm. and many of our churches felt that. I'm thinking of one pastor who lamented the loss of church mothers who died during the pandemic. And so, in addition to the loss of their physical presence, we know that these church mothers are the pillars of the Black church. They're they're the ones that carry all the history.
3: Mm. And
2: so, Jeremiah 6.16 comes to mind. It says, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient path. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and there you will find rest for your souls. And so, when I think about the Black church, I know that Uh, We in particular are so reliant upon its histories and its traditions. And COVID really disrupted all of that. But it wasn't just deaths. I want to point that out. Had one case study that had, for an example, an abruptly shortened period of transition. Uh, The pastor had just been called a few months prior to the COVID outbreak, and it was this very traditional church. And so some of those natural transition processes were disrupted. Another one was a pastor who at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, moved, as John mentioned, we had a, a lot of people that were having different experiences based on where you were in the country, right? And so, this pastor uh, came to a church in the Bay Area. He was from Nebraska, and there in Nebraska, everything was open. And so, he arrives at this very historic African-American church, and the church and the city totally shut down. Mm. Um, and he's kind of at a loss of what to do Um, The church hadn't been open in two months. He says, no communication, nothing. And so he didn't have that benefit of the normal team of deacons and church mothers and elders Mm -hmm. and everyone that would have transitioned him in and transferred that knowledge and deep history. Instead, he had this team of five that sort of had to hold it down for a year, he said, until they were able to open up. Um, And so when a chunk of people leave— they're going to be stories and values that leave with them, and that's whether it's through dying, whether moving away, uh, whether people are staying home because they're afraid to go to church. We know that that's a big thing uh, in in the African American community. We are losing culture when that happens, um, and so there's this loss of of knowledge when the generations disappear.
1: One of the quotes in the report was so epic and real that not only did we track the pastor down, and we'll talk to them in just a second, but actually wanted to read it for you. In the study, when we asked pastors and leaders to tell us the most encouraging or challenging thing that happened to them during the COVID-19 pandemic, this pastor said that it was, quote, The demand to be an epidemiologist, economist, and geopolitical science major, to be open and available to read, watch, and provide in-depth but short commentary on every conspiracy theory, prophecy, or talking head on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. The demand to become an expert in technologies related to communication on all platforms, while at the same time finding ways to connect to everyone who is rejecting various platforms that they currently mistrust. Processing the problems of people facing daily pummeling of news and apocalyptic terrors, anxieties, and and all the interpersonal problems arising from all the above. Holding people together when all their relationships are falling apart. Finding in all of this the wisdom and witness needed to be everything to everyone at all times. Dealing with actual loss of life in a congregation and everything related to people's mental health as they face their own mortality, some for the first time. Drawing up and maintaining hope joy, and vision in one of the most difficult and dark times in my 25 years of full-time ministry.
0: Hello, my is Eric Lauer. I live in Spokane, Washington, and I'm currently pastoring a church called Jacob's Well.
1: Eric, I just read your epic quote that's included in chapter two of our report, and it stood out to me when when I first read it. I thought, wow, this is probably the best summary of the pressures and the demands that pastors experience. And the title of the chapter and of this episode of the podcast is Adapt to Survive. And felt like it really captured this sense in which everything was coming at pastors from all different directions and this expectation to be an expert in all these different areas and provide guidance and wisdom and things that nobody really had solid answers to. So walk me through your quote. In some of our discussions before the interview, you said this was like revisiting a migraine for you.
0: It's interesting, even in getting ready for this podcast, as I was going through all the dynamics of, oh, do we have proper lighting? The audio, oh, that piece of equipment was broken and we didn't replace that. And and even, you know, in the news, there's just a resurgence of the possibility of more mask mandates. And I'm already seeing this rising of people claiming the ground where they're going to stand about the potential of this next whatever may unfold. And so I'm having kind of a PTSD moment in, in some cases. And so when I look back on those years moving through the pandemic, as a small church, we have about 100 people we meet in a building that did not facilitate an ease to social distance and in Washington we had some pr- pretty strict lockdowns and the church and services were not considered essential in our state and uh, we're on the west coast we're on the east side of a predominantly liberal state so the west side very much in favor of a lot of the governor who was a democrat and his his policies really favored all of the compliance and and mandates the east side of our state is consistently more conservative so that set things up in the church in a very divided journey of how to respond there were so many components that were constantly being challenged or or questioned so that put us as a leader and at the time I was only one person on staff myself and volunteers and a team of leaders that we had to navigate all these new frontier things that were going on And the requests, particularly from social media, which my post to you reflected, was this expectation that I would have answers in all kinds of levels of fields that I have no no degree in, no expertise, no insight that goes beyond my own personal experience and study and desire to be informed on a broad range of subjects. But still, the weight of having to have Answers in fields that were being debated was just a complete surprise and challenge to bear. And there was not a lot of space. We had to make decisions quick. We had to have reasonings behind decisions that impacted a lot of people. And then, overarching all of that, the specter of the unknown reality of whether or not your decisions were going to impact people's health, their lives. So again, there was just always this tension that our decisions had impact that never before had they reached that kind of level in my pastoral experience. That was extremely taxing for me. Now, in my city and in my relationships with other pastors, it became clear that not everybody was having the same experience, and so I found myself even more isolated in some ways because even among peers there was this obvious difference of opinions differences of approaches people who were against things people who were for people who were having not very difficult experiences with navigating all the different elements of covid and lockdowns and others that were struggling deeply and a number of churches and friends of mine you know closed down and so a very diverse even field of of churches and pastors experiences so, very complex and very, and very stressful.
4: God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Cat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform.
1: One of the things that we discovered in our our research was the outcomes for churches were all over the place that every church had almost a unique story to tell. And so that was why we settled on these common experiences. Every church was was forced to adapt in order to survive and the level of adaptation was different and the challenges they faced were different, you know, had Churches in Texas that had pipes bursting in the wintertime, and some states had more severe restrictions, some states had less severe restrictions. But the thing that stood out, and it it seems like this bears out in your church, was that the churches that experienced polarization within the congregation over pandemic health measures tended to have worse outcomes. Mm -hmm. It was the churches where the majority of the people, they may not have agreed on all of the decisions. They may not have even agreed with the decisions that the state authorities or local authorities were making. But the more like-minded they were in the ability to follow the leadership of the pastor, the less stressful it was for the pastor. The pastor had fewer job title changes, fewer pastors considering quitting. All the outcomes were, were better in those cases. So it sounds like in your congregation, there was a fair amount of disagreement and polarization over some of these decisions.
0: Yeah, I mean, we we made it through, and, and in some ways, our church was made stronger, but there was definitely fractures and losses and people that left and people that got very vocal online about the church's leadership decisions. So challenges on public platforms versus personally coming to me. So this whole online world became the platform where so much of this played out. Both the, the trials, you know, that people put people on trial. And, and so I was always dealing with all this information and, and material that people were bringing from outside sources to debate or question or challenge or just confused about there was always this element of the third person in the room between me and another person, me, them, and the internet. And to be forced to go on the internet to kind of exist for a period of time just exacerbated this idea that we're having to get in bed with the beast that we're fighting. It was a a weird dynamic that even though it enabled us to stay connected, enabled us to do ministry at a time where we couldn't do face-to-face and It it definitely expanded our reach and brought people together in ways that never maybe before had happened. It was also undermining the people that we're actually face to face with relationships, and that was a challenge, and it's still a challenge. I saw someone yesterday that I haven't seen since the beginning of they, they just stopped attending, and their other family members continued. So there's still repercussions of people' health decisions, concerns deep-seated kind of apprehensions about, I think, trust, like whether they can trust us as leaders to make the right decision if they disagree, and yet they're relationally bonded maybe through family, through history, but there's still kind of this underlying sense of you betrayed us in some capacity maybe at a certain level. And so there's a sensitivity and a vulnerability there that I still feel pastorally is present under the surface in some people.
1: One of the common experiences that we, we talk about on the report, and we're going to talk about in an upcoming podcast, is beauty from ashes. And there were a lot of churches that went through hard times. They experienced difficult things. Pastors felt like they were put through this trial by fire. But looking back, they were able to say God was with us in that, or he was able to use that to build something new. One of the participants talked about God tearing down and uprooting in order to build and to plant. So talk to me about where your church is at now. How has COVID changed your church? How has it changed your ministry? How has it changed
0: you? I think the thing that, you know, not not that this is the most important subject obviously, but it was the most dramatic evidence that something unique was happening in the midst of all those other challenges. And that was as a small church, we anticipated our financial situation to be significantly impacted by this unknown place we're in, and we actually did the opposite. Faithfulness and giving, generosity from our own people outside of our church to such a degree that we just were blessed and, and taken care of and now sit upon a savings that we've never had in the 17 years as a church. And that was directly the result of the that season. So that is a bizarre thing. And that's not a unique thing among the pastors locally that I have heard. I know pastors of 2,000 plus churches and churches down to house church kind of size. And I saw consistently small churches— Bind together and blessing happen and, and similar testimonies. I know some that that are no longer in existence, too, so it's not across the board. But for us, that was a surprising thing. I think the other thing was, you know, um, it was a sifting experience that revealed where relationships really were. Are we committed to Christ and one another, or were we committed to a way of doing life that got disrupted? And I think that there was real evidence of the people that were really rooted and bonded together and were willing to press through all the hardships and figure out ways to be the body of Christ in different seasons of that time in meaningful ways. So it was difficult. Yes, I I always told people it's kind of like, you know, after a storm, if you had a piece of property on the coast or something somewhere after a big storm and you go to see how the house survived— what is still standing? You know, are the lawn chairs still there? Were there any damages? And there were some areas in our foundations that needed to be addressed, some some basic fundamental beliefs about the Bible and about God's sovereignty and His faithfulness to us. And so, after the pandemic, you know, we went through a year of catechism and, and just refocusing on the essentials of the historic Christian faith. We moved through you know, overview of the whole Bible, God's redemptive story from beginning to end in the last year. So we really kind of just pivoted to re-strengthening what holds us together as Christians so that whatever we go forward through, we have strengthened the things that remained and the essential things, because that's where our unity is. It's in Christ. And it became very evident that our unity was along many other lines during the COVID era. And so for us, That's bared fruit. We're stronger as a church probably than ever in our foundation. We're starting to grow again. Our outreach has expanded. I think our priorities got purified, and our motivations with one another got challenged and exposed. So it was hard growth, but meaningful growth.
1: Well, thank you so much for sitting down and sharing your experience, for revisiting what was clearly a A hectic and challenging time in your ministry, but it's exciting to hear what God's doing uh, at Jacob's Well moving forward. So thank you again.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for the opportunity to talk about uh, a subject that has left quite a mark on my own soul as a leader, but at the same time enabled me to see God's faithfulness in our ministry and uh, position me for hope for the future too.
1: John, as you noted in the introduction to this chapter, nobody wrote, close our doors on their list of short-term goals. Obviously, this pandemic is mostly in the rearview mirror. And as you said, a lot of us really don't want to look back at the moment. But that doesn't mean that we're never going to face circumstances like this in the future. You had a lot of insight on this topic as we were processing our research So take us back to that quote from Todd Bolsinger. What do you think is the future of adaptation? Where do do we go from here?
3: As we wrap up a study, I wish we were doing the next study, because the next study says, so what of the things that changed actually stuck? Mm. Um, I was thinking recently about the difference between adjusting versus adapting, And in adjusting, Mm. you move things around a little bit. In adapting, you change what you're doing. And I think that being able to talk to people and say, so what are the adaptations that you have made? How are you doing things differently now? And it has stuck. And now you're saying, oh, we learned a lot about how to do things differently. We learned a lot about what actually matters and what we thought mattered. I think that... For a lot of congregations, uh, accepting that things are different, we talk a lot about the pandemic, and then we talk about changes in church attendance, and we talk about all those kinds of things, almost as separate entities. When you do reading, when you listen to conversations, it's like, there's COVID, well, that's in the rearview mirror. I wonder why people aren't in church these days. Uh, And I think that uh, to be able to look at multiple causes and to say, so maybe— the environment is way more complicated than we thought it was. And maybe when we yeah. talk about getting back together, there's really not a back to go to. One of the things that I talked with people about during the research is, in my lifetime, we spent a lot of time on Sunday mornings talking about the need to get out of the building. That this, this is mm. what's important. Church is not just on Sunday morning. It's once we get out of the building. And then a pandemic comes and says, you can't come in the building. And we devoted incredible amounts of energy to get back into the building yeah. by live streaming the things that we were doing. It's like, wait, what did we mean by that? And so I think that, that spending more time on trying to understand what is the real question, what is the real problem, what is the real situation, part of Bolsinger's experience is sometimes we do the technical answers, which is the things that we know about, but sometimes we need to consider the fact that maybe the questions have changed fundamentally. And we need to pursue those questions. So I think that taking the time to review this study ends up helping us think about um, and talk about what actually happened and how are the changes actually not in the rearview mirror, but what happened is the road has changed since then.
1: One of my new favorite TV shows is this British comedy called Taskmaster. Have you guys seen that TV show? I watched half of one episode. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. They give these comedians different tasks and they're often usually very silly but there's a specific type of thing that they do where they'll put them in teams and they will give them a task to complete but they won't tell them the rules and so there's one where they're in a, a pickleball court and they're supposed to score points and they assume oh we're just hit the ball against the wall but they don't score any points when they do that and they keep playing and eventually a point shows up on the board and they're like what well, i don't I, what happened And so they start doing all these just random things, experimenting, throwing anything at the wall to try and figure out what's actually getting them to score points. And it turns out the answer was touching their heads. Nobody actually figured out the rules during the game. It was only after they watched it back that they're like, oh my gosh, how did I not realize that? But what ends up happening is because they don't know the rules and nobody's there to tell them the rules, they just start making up rules that makes sense in the moment, and, and they don't pause to ponder. They don't actually do any sort of scientific experiments or anything, and it just ends up being sort of chaos. Mm. And the one person that lands on a winning strategy, that becomes what they're going to do for the whole game. And I was watching an episode last night where they were doing this, and, and they realized if they just made a constant noise the whole time that they would win. And it wasn't the actual solution. They didn't understand what the rules were, but they just knew if I just keep making a noise, then we'll win. And I think the benefit of looking back and thinking about these things is because I think we'd adopted a lot of those adaptation strategies during the pandemic. It was just a crisis. Everything was happening. We didn't really know what was gonna work. So we just started experimenting and some of it worked and some of it didn't. And I'm not convinced that we've stepped back and actually taken the time to go, why did it work? What were the rules? Like you said, John, the, the the rules of the game have probably changed. And if we don't think through that, then we're just going to continue to make decisions based on bad information or our instincts in the moment. And we're not going to get any clarity on the future and what we need to do the next time this comes around.
3: I think that one of the things that we often do is we look back to how things were three years ago, or we look back to how mm-hmm. things were ten years ago rather than looking back to how things were a thousand years ago, and how has Mm. the Church across time walked through a variety of challenges and made a variety Mm. of adaptations and commitments across time. I think that parts of the Church are um, not historical, and spending a little bit more time going back to Acts and running through history from then, would help us gain some perspective about how the Church across time, guided by the Spirit, walks through these kinds of adaptations.
1: Definitely. Thank you both for joining me to talk about this topic today. The metaphor that we keep returning to is a choose-your-own-adventure novel, and every pastor and church encountered, uh, I think, this experience of adapting to survive, and how they responded determined where they moved in the next story. but. As I was thinking about it, I think this adapt to survive experience also kind of functioned like a chance card, a monopoly. No matter what your plan was going into the game, when you draw that chance card, you have to adapt. You don't know where you're going to move. You don't know what it's going to cost you. You don't know how it's going to impact the game. And so I think every church experienced that. And the more we can learn from those experiences, I think the better pair will be for the future. So thank you guys. Thanks,
2: Aaron. Thanks for having us.
1: COVID and the Church is a production of Church Salary, the Ministry of Christianity Today. Executive producers are Aaron Hill, Terry Linhart, and Matt Stevens. Host, Aaron Hill. COVID and the Church is produced in conjunction with the Arbor Research Group and funded by the Lilly Endowment, Incorporated through a grant from the Economic Challenges Facing Pastoral Leaders Initiative. Director for CT Media is Matt Stevens. Tyler Bradford Wright is our audio engineer, editor, and composer. Artwork provided by Ryan Johnson. And our art director is Sarah Gordon.